Good morning, church. Woo, good to see you guys this morning. I'm going to be reading Romans 3 and 4. Are you ready? All right. Can we boast then that we've done anything to be accepted by God? No. (laughs) Because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It is based on faith. So we're made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. After all, is God the God of the Jews only? Isn't he also the God of the Gentiles? Of course he is. There is only one God, and he makes people right with himself only by faith, whether they're Jews or Gentiles. Well then, if we emphasize faith, does this mean that we can forget about the law? Of course not! In fact, only when we have faith do we truly fulfill the law. Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of our Jewish nation. What did he discover about being made right with God? If his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have something to boast about. But that was not God's way. For the scriptures tell us, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. When people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they have earned. But people are counted as righteous not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. David also spoke of this when he described the happiness of those who were declared righteous without working for it. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. Now, is this blessing only for the Jews, or is it also for uncircumcised Gentiles. Well, we've been saying that Abraham was counted as righteous by God because of his faith. But how did this happen? Was he counted righteous only after he was circumcised? Or was it before he was circumcised? Clearly, 
God accepted Abraham before he was circumcised. Circumcision was a sign that Abraham already had faith and that God had already accepted him and declared him to be righteous even before he was circumcised. So Abraham is the spiritual father of those who have faith but have not been circumcised. They are counted as righteous because of their faith. And Abraham is also the spiritual father of those who have been circumcised. But only if they have the same kind of faith Abraham had before he was circumcised. Clearly, God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was based not on his obedience to God's law, but on a right relationship with God that comes by faith. If God's promise is only for those who obey the law, then faith is not necessary, and the promise is pointless. For the law always brings punishment on those who try to obey it. The only way to avoid breaking the law is to have no law to break. So the promise is received by faith. It is given as a free gift, and we are all certain to receive it, whether or not we live according to the law of Moses, if we have faith like Abraham's. For Abraham is the father of all who believe. That is what the scriptures mean when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead and so was Sarah's womb. Abraham never, never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. And in this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit too, assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him. The one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead 
He was handed over to die because of our sins. And he was raised to life to make us right with God. Amen. Thank you for coming this morning. That concludes our service. Oh, the donkey at the Kentucky Derby. Wow. I know how he feels. Thank you, Lord, for your word and the power of it and the blessing of the reading of it. Mm. Thank you, Sorelda. All right. Wow. How many of you, show of hands, have ever been on a team before? Team, okay. How many of you on that team, it was a good team. The first team that came to your mind, was it a good team? Okay. Uh, hesitant there. Did, all right. Did you make it a good team or did you make it a bad team? Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, I want us to think in terms of team this morning. And so uh, with that question... Most of you have raised your hand, so you know what a team is. You realize that when you join this team, whatever it is, whether it's your civic group or whether it's, you know, athletic team or whether it's, um, you know, uh, a team at work or school, you realize that you've kind of been given this purpose and plan, and all you have to do as a team of a bunch of different people coming together is execute it and make it work to where your team wins, Right? And so you get this assignment, and all of a sudden, you know, what do we do? We start getting busy, right? We start working, and we start looking at the plan, and then, you know, we start adding our ideas to the plan, which sometimes can be a good thing. Uh, and then we start bringing our experiences to this plan, and pretty soon we're in, caught up in the midst of this team accomplishing this goal. And what happens sometimes, if we're not careful, is the team becomes more important than the mission and the goal. And all of a sudden, this plan and this purpose that was given to the team somehow gets missing. It gets lost in the cover-up of our concern for ourselves and the team. This scenario... If you've been around long enough, this scenario plays out in the church as well, doesn't it? Because we're basically a big team. We've been given this plan and this purpose, and now we've been left with this responsibility as a believer, as a follower of Christ, as a part of the bigger body of Christ, right, to share the gospel, to bring this message and this responsibility that we've been given to carry it out. So what do we do? We get busy. We jump into church activities. We, we find these new relationships that um, are giving life to us within this team and within this church. It's not long that we begin to insert our own ideas, right? Again, not, not necessarily a bad thing. And we begin to bring our past experiences into this plan, and it begins to shape uh, based on these ideas and our plans. And soon, if we're not careful... We can build this church around us and around our lives and around our wants and desires 
and around our experiences and around our church family. And the most important thing, the mission that we've been given gets lost. This is where we're at in the book of Romans. You say, wait a minute, I ain't heard anything about a team or anything like that in the last five weeks. But this is exactly where we're at in the book of Romans when we approach chapter 4 today. You see, Paul takes this opportunity, if you've been following along in Romans, and let me pause here because I'm not going to have overheads. So if you don't have a Bible, you're going to need it. Because today we're going to, I'm going to have you flip through the Bible. So raise your hand if you don't have a Bible and they'll bring one to you. And when you get it, just uh, open it about halfway and turn to the right, and you're going to come to a book called Romans. Go ahead and get to the fourth chapter of Romans. But if you've been following along in the series, this is what Paul's been addressing in his letter through chapters 1 through 4. His team is made up of mostly Jews. And they've been entrusted to take this good news that, that Paul has laid out before them, that Jesus has demonstrated in front of them. For many of them, they saw him. They, they knew the story of him going to the cross. They experienced what that was about. And they firsthand were witnesses to that. And they've been entrusted with this good news to take it to the Gentiles and to the world. But in the midst of this plan... They've temporarily lost sight of the most important part of the plan. And that most important part is what you heard over and over in the last three weeks, specifically, and you're going to hear it again today over and over. And that is that anyone can be made right with God by Jesus Christ through faith. So let me recap real quick. Chapter 1, here's how Paul brought that to light. Paul talked about the good news of the gospel and its gift to all who receive and believe it, to the Jew and also to the Gentile. So that's the purpose. And then here comes the plan. He introduces it. And he says, this is not a static, this, this is an active faith. This is a mission that we're all going to be called to, that we're going to take this gospel and we're going to take it to the Gentiles. And this is an important part of the plan. So they hear it. They hear verses like, it's the power of God and the salvation to the Jew first and then Gentile. They hear a little bit about the, the death and the burial of Jesus Christ. But they don't stick to the mission. Chapter 2, what happens? Paul has to step in. He has to rebuke them. I, I preached on this one, on hypocrites, you know. With my hypocrisy, they picked me to pick to preach that one. But we talked about all of a sudden, the team becomes now a bunch of hypocrites. See, they got busy doing and acting religious, becoming holier than thou, and judging others and justifying themselves by their Jewish traditions. And what happened was it, it quickly became more about them than it did about others. And it became more about what they were doing to earn God's righteousness and God's faith. And remember, we went through all kinds of stuff. We went through circumcision. We went through 
uh, all of these outward signs that they were doing, that they were trying to say, this is why we're accepted before God. And what Paul was saying is, you missed it. You missed it. No, it's by faith in Christ. Then he goes to chapter 3. And he shows them all, Jews and Gentiles, that they're all under the power of sin and the curse of sin and that they need to be rescued by Jesus Christ. And in the last 11 verses of chapter 3, Paul has to go back to this most important point. And it is that we can be made right before God only by Jesus Christ through faith. And he's going to do it in such a convincing way that you scratch your head and think, wow, how did they not get this? And Sorelda read a few of those verses, but if you have your Bibles, just flip back one chapter to three and you can go through this with me real quick of the ways in which Paul brought them back to the mission of righteousness before God. Listen to this. Verse 21 and 22. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 24. God in His grace freely makes us right through Jesus Christ. 25. We are made right with God when we believe that Jesus sacrificed His life. 26. God makes sinners right in His sight when they believe in Jesus. 28. So we are made right with God through faith and not obeying the law. Verse 30, there's only one God and he makes people right with himself only by faith. Okay. Now after hearing that, would you have any doubt how we're made right with God? Personally. I mean, if you heard that, you just heard, you know, three chapters of it and now it's going to end with eight or nine verses spelled out clear. Is it spelled out clear? Is it spelled How are we made right with God? In? Okay. So it's clear, right? Not so much. That's why Paul, <laughs> that's why Paul probably shakes his head at this point and has to go deep into the well and he pulls out the Trump card. He pulls out the illustration of all illustrations as we come into chapter 4, and that's Abraham. And he says, up until this point, we keep missing the mark. And so, I'm going to show you through your forefather, through the father of your race and your nation, how he accomplished this. It's kind of like in these days, right? When we get something new, and we open it up, and we pull out, and there's an instruction manual. And you, you go, oh, yeah. Throw it away, and you start putting the thing together, right? Well, it's one thing to read the instruction manual. But hey, a couple of years ago, I was introduced to these YouTube videos. <laughs> yeah. And I became even more reckless. I have no ability uh, to fix anything. I tear everything up. But it was amazing. This YouTube video, they had the expert. And they put this expert on and he's talking to me like he knows me. I'm going, is he my neighbor? 
you know, and he's just going, yeah, you got this. And, and it was every part I needed. And it just made a total difference. Because it just wasn't words in the instruction manual, but it was a video. It was a life portrait. It was real, right? And it was being talked to me. It was being demonstrated to me. This is the picture that Paul is trying to give these Jews at this point. And he's going to go right to the man. Chapter 4, read with me, verses 1 through 3. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Here's the key verse. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, right? This is a direct quote from Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. And that says, and he, Abraham, believed the Lord, and he, God, counted it to him as righteousness. You say, well, what's such a big deal about that? It's a huge deal. Because if you looked at Genesis 15, 6, if you turn back three chapters in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, you get in on this promise that God made to Abraham. We know it as the Abrahamic covenant. And this is a huge promise of covenant that I don't have time to go through right now. And, and Paul actually goes through a lot of it in chapter 4. So we'll, we'll just fly through it, and that's your homework assignment. But it's amazing what God promised Abraham. And Abraham had to have faith in this. It wasn't because Abraham was the top of his class. It wasn't because Abraham was the righteous one, was it? No. It was because of his faith in the promise giver and the promise. That's a message for us today, folks. That our faith needs to not only be in the promise, but also in the promise giver. So that's what we see with Abraham when the covenant was given to him, that his land was, his people were going to number the stars and the land was going to be just a multitude of land and then the blessing of other nations as they blessed them. And you can read more about that. So he brings exhibit A before them, which is Abraham. And he says, here it is, guys. Don't miss the most important part of this mission that we're on. Don't get caught up in the team activity where you miss the actual purpose and plan. That your righteousness is through Christ in your faith, by your faith. So Paul goes on, verses 4 through 8. He uses Abraham's faith and then he brings in David's story a little bit. This story of repentance to demonstrate a key principle. And this principle is all about working for our wages and earning favor versus receiving a gift of grace. And so when we work, we earn a wage, but while we trust in God's grace, He gives us a gift. Verse 6 of chapter 4 says, Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one whom God counts righteousness apart from works. So Paul's defense is he's going to, or his argument is, 
Works is not going to cut it for you. It's not the wages. It's not the works that you put in. It is Christ and Christ alone, and it is our faith and faith in Him alone that is going to make us right before God. Just a side note here, verses 7 and 8 in chapter 4, that's a quote from Psalm 32, 1 through 5. It's a great psalm. If you, if you have a chance, read it, and I don't have time to go into it, but this psalm's really ministered to me over the years because this psalm is about David, and after he uh, is kind of called out by his buddy uh, in the affair that he had with Bathsheba and, and all that he did in that situation. And David said, My bones waxed cold within me. My spirit dried up until I confessed my sins unto the Lord. Until I went into the house of God and confessed my sins. Then he heard my cry and he granted to me forgiveness. And what Paul was saying was, this is your father, David. This is, this is probably the second, this is probably the third, Jesus being first, Abraham being second. It's probably the third most important person in the history of your nation. And was it counted to him through his wages and his good works and his righteousness? No. How was it accredited to him? Through Christ and his righteousness. But David believed in faith that God would forgive him. Great psalm there to read. If you're struggling with sin, if you're struggling with a great sin that you can't get free in, that you're still just strapped with guilt, Go to Psalm 32. Go to Psalm 51. Two great psalms that David has for us. Okay, let me jump back on here. Sorry about that. There's a squirrel over there, isn't there? All right, I'm back. Verses 9 through 12. Paul's going to take the argument from, uh, from good works is not going to cut it to now circumcision is not going to cut it. Okay, boo. <laughs> okay, so 9 through 12. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well and to, him, and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but who also walk in the footsteps of faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Let me try and summarize that by not using the word circumcised 400 times. Abraham's right standing before God occurred before God instituted the ritual of circumcision. Secondly, circumcision was an outward sign of an inward belief. Circumcision doesn't change a person. It had no effect on Abraham's life at that point. It was just an outward symbol. 
Number three, circumcision in the covenant, and the covenant it symbolized, was given with the expectation that, that Abraham's example would bring peoples of, of the world to faith in Jesus Christ. Because they would see that this is the mark of God's people. Now, it didn't change Abraham, but they would see it as the mark. So what's the summary of this? What's the takeaway of this? Here it is. Nothing can separate or substitute God's grace. It can only be received by Jesus Christ through faith. Not works, not circumcision, not church activities, not traditions of the church, not denominations, not bylaws, and, and we're rewriting our bylaws, and they'll be out pretty soon, and we're excited about those, but you know what? Obeying the bylaws, and it's not on the list. In fact, hold your breath here. In fact, not even baptism or communion makes us right before God. You see, an unbeliever can remain unchanged by participating in baptism and communion. We, we probably experience that all the time. We don't know that for sure, but we probably experience it all the time where someone's baptized young or maybe they're old and they, they get involved in the church for a little while and they split. They don't care about God anymore. And they go, well, the baptism didn't, God didn't work. Well, how was he supposed to work? Well, I got baptized. Wrong answer. It's in Christ. It's not in the baptismal pool. See, taking communion doesn't make you any more holier than it did before you took it. See, no outward signs of religion have the power to change us. But this is hard for us. Because the main struggle for these Jews is the same struggle we face today. And that is that we're raised in this society that associates human achievement with awards. And they put them together. And so we're taught to work hard and live up to all the human standards that are placed on us of goodness and success. And then the results of our hard work and achievement will be rewarded for it. And this is everywhere, isn't it? We can't get away from it. It surrounds us. But when we enter into faith, when we enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, it's not there. It's by grace and grace alone. And that's why it's so hard for many of us to justify our relationship with God apart from works. Because we've had to earn everything that we've gotten in our life. And it's almost like when we receive this gift, something's wrong with that. And what Abraham is demonstrating to us and Paul is saying is, that's God's way. That's God's plan. Totally opposite of our plan. So some of you may have come out of the Catholic faith and this was a big issue for you, and you're still struggling with it. Some of us, we've had to earn our right in life. We've had to earn everything that we've ever gotten. This is very difficult. It was difficult for the Jews. 
Here in Rome, it's going to be difficult for us because we're so inundated with society by it. Well, let me get to the last part. I'm over my time. In the last part of this chapter, Paul's going to turn now his focus to the closing argument, which is Abraham and his actual faith. And he's going to take exhibit B, which is the faith of Abraham, and he's going to put it on the stand for all to see and to remember. And so look at 19. I'm going to read through verse 22. It says this, He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was good as dead, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham's faith. Go back to the promise. Your children are going to outnumber the stars in the sky. Start counting, Abraham. You can't count them all, right? God. Amen. Hey, hey God. I'm, a, I'm almost 100 years old. Sarah's pretty old, too. But I'd never tell her that. We, women don't like their age to be exposed. But how's this going to happen? And they try their other way, right, with Ishmael. God reminds him of the covenant. He forgives him, brings him back, shows that Abraham ain't all that, that he's a human too. He says, Abraham, you believe my promise? You believe my covenant? Abraham, yes. Do you really? This is the faith we're talking about that Abraham demonstrated. This great faith that look at the circumstances that were before him and the earthly solution to that circumstance would be, you're out of your mind. This ain't going to happen. And yet Abraham was credited as having great faith. You see, the things that stick out in his faith is that he held tightly to the promises of God from his word. He heard God speak. He heard the word of God. And he believed it. Verse 20 said, says, No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. So he believed the word of God. Secondly, even when it seemed impossible, Abraham trusted God. But God. Oh, I know this circumstance looks undeniably impossible. But God. That's the faith we're talking about. And then thirdly, Abraham's faith was active. In the face of these challenging situations, Abraham gave glory to God. Look at verse 20. No distrust made him waver concerning his promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. 
You see, Abraham's faith was active. Abraham's faith was based on the promise and the Word of God. And Abraham's faith was built around this trust that he developed with God. From the very beginning of Abraham, take your family and go. And Abraham rolled up his sleeves and trusted God and took off. Did he make mistakes along the way? You bet you. But he never made the mistake. He never missed the most important part of the mission. That there is nothing in him that is right before God apart from looking. He didn't have the benefit of looking back to the cross, but looking through the cross of Jesus Christ. That's where I'm going to stand righteous before God. In him and his death and his sacrifice and his resurrection. Not anything I know. So we see from Abraham's faith that it was based on God's promises, that it has full assurance despite the earthly evidence against it, and is a faith that is credited as righteousness. So you're sitting there and you're going, what does it matter? Terry, why does all this even matter? That through our faith in Christ, we're made right. Let me end with these kind of four thoughts and then I'm going to give you some questions to take home. Here's why I believe it matters. Here's why I believe Paul believed it matters. Here's why I believe that God thinks it matters. Number one, Through our faith in Christ, we are made right before God because it it is at that point that we begin a relationship with our Creator. It is at this point when we die to ourselves and we put ourselves in Christ that we begin this relationship that God designed us for, that God created us for. It's His plan. Anything different than that is man-made and it's self-sustained. Good luck with that. I don't want anything man-made and I can't bolster the strength to sustain it anymore. I'm going to trust in Jesus. (laughs) Number two, here's why it matters. Because faith in Christ is the very heart of the message that God intends for us to share with the world. It's hard to share what you haven't experienced, isn't it? This message of the gospel is what carries the power. It's the message. It's the person of the gospel that carries the power to change lives. We can't change our own lives. We can't change our kids' lives, our, 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 our spouses' lives, our families' lives. But the power of the gospel can. That's why it matters. Number three, it matters because this most important part is the glue that holds us to the mission. God in His mission begins to direct our lives and our decisions that we make and our prayers that we pray. And if we depend upon our own strength, if we 
if we begin to make it about us, we begin to depend on our wisdom and strength and personal abilities. And we'll be distracted away from the mission, just like they were in Rome. There's a world of people out there that need to hear the most important message. And God's given us as carriers of that message. And that's the message that we need to deliver. That's what's going to be the glue that holds us together. That's what holds great teams together. They understand and know their mission. Doesn't matter if free agents come in. It doesn't matter if they change coaches. If the mission is clear and there's understanding and there's ownership in the mission and it's beyond them, they succeed. Same with the church today. We have a mission, Cornerstone. All of us. It's not individual mission. It's a corporate mission. In Rome, it was a corporate mission for the Jews. Paul had great plans for them that they were going to go into Gentile land, preach the gospel. And it was going to spread the gospel around the world. What started with 12 misfits was going to begin to gain all kinds of traction and begin to plant groups and churches of people all around the world. Got to stay on mission. And lastly, Places us in a dependent relationship with God and His bride, the church, just like Abraham. So let me close with these questions that you can take home. First one, based upon this definition of faith that we have been talking about, and let me read it real quick. Faith that we have defined it in our series is this. Trusting Jesus Christ alone, surrendering our will to His will, proclaiming our allegiance to Him with complete dependence on Jesus and His work. Based on that definition, would you say that you've placed your faith in Christ and Christ alone today? Some of you, you've been white-knuckling it, you've been working, you've been depending on other things to keep you around Religious and, and around the church, but you've never surrendered to Christ. You need to do that today. You need to, by faith, by the faith that Abraham dis displayed to us, that same faith, you need to surrender and place upon Jesus Christ today. Second question, as a follower of Jesus, what ways have you trusted in other things Besides your faith in God. What are you putting your trust in? What are you putting your faith in? And then lastly, as a church, corporately, how have we mis misrepresented the core truth of the gospel? That we were made right by Jesus Christ alone and not by works, law, or other means. How has Cornerstone corporately misrepresented this message? How have we, as part of the body of Christ, how have we missed the most important question? Let me pray and then why it's going to lead us in a song. Father, 
I pray, God, that uh, today people would experience your righteousness through Christ by bending their knee and bowing their heart to you. And that we as your followers would understand the mission and the core truth that drives the mission. That Jesus Christ, it is through and by you that we stand right before our Heavenly Father. So thank you for that gift. May we treat it as the most precious and special gift that we've ever received or ever will receive in our life. In your name we pray. Amen.